Hired by faith, driven by results, it's the Compassion Network Podcast with Tia Ramey. Thank you for tuning in to the Compassion Network, where we discuss leadership from the perspective of faith. I'm your host, Tia Ramey, and I'm excited to introduce to you my network of compassionate leaders that have made changing lives their business. Tonight is for those of you that understand the struggle of understanding your identity. Many Americans are struggling to accept who they are. Most importantly, they struggle to understand who God is and what it means when we hear that we are made in the image of God. My guest tonight, Mr. Walt Heyer, helps individuals that have a hard time facing the fearfully and wonderfully made individual in the mirror. He has a beautiful story about redemption, and he's going to share it with us tonight. Mr. Heyer, welcome to the Compassion Network. Yeah, thanks, Tia, for having me on tonight. I appreciate it. The pleasure is most certainly mine. Uh, You have such an amazing story. And what's uh, interesting about your story is that I was following you on social media, and um, I think that I had listened to you on the Candace Owens show. And sure enough, Mm -hmm. the very next day, you were at a conference speaking, (laughs) the same one that I happened to be at. So it was uh, very interesting to have met you in that way after uh, following some of your literature and your books and watching your interviews. I've learned so much from you, and it was such a pleasure to meet you here in Ohio um, when I believe you were with the conference with Citizens for Community Values. So I'd love for you to just introduce yourself, um, your professional Mm -hmm. background, and your journey into your career. Sure. Yeah, I'm Walt Heyer, and uh, I started out actually uh, many years ago working on uh, electronics in um, making missile systems um, for a company called Libroscope when I was just uh, going to school, and I eventually ended up working on the Apollo space missions as an associate design engineer for cryogenics. And I went from there into the auto industry um, where I was an executive for American Honda Motor Company for several years uh, as the national port operations manager uh, for them. And then um, my uh, my career came to an abrupt end when I uh, struggled, had been struggling for many years with my gender identity and um, with um, the use of alcohol and, and other substances, um, I sort of crashed. And then um, um, they say the story then began to unfold as I uh, walked toward Jesus to find my way back to sanity and redemption and restoration. Wow, that's incredible. So can you talk a little bit about the background of your faith and how it impacts the work that you do? Yeah, I mean, um, when I was uh, had been struggling with my gender identity and had gone to a, a gender therapist that are quite well-known and popular today, and the gender therapist uh, told me, because I'd been struggling since I was four years old with my gender identity, uh, he diagnosed me with gender dysphoria and told me I needed um, to undergo reassignment surgery and hormone therapy, which um, there wasn't any opposing voices at the time about the procedure. And so I went ahead and in 1983 underwent the surgery and became Laura Jensen, uh, was released from my job and I became homeless and began to crawl my way back. Uh, gaining some sobriety, and then um, I began to look toward the Lord as a 
is really pulling me out of this deep hole that I had gotten myself in uh, with my gender identity. And, and the Lord was there I, uh, with sobriety and a group of really good, wonderful uh, believers surrounding me. I was able to um, find my way back. And, um, mm. and and then the Lord just really transformed my life. And, and uh, that's really how this uh, ministry got started. And my wife and I have been helping others that, uh, like I struggled, helping others now for over 10 years. Wow. So how do people find you? And, and maybe you could speak a little bit more about your ministry and specifically uh, what you do to help other sure. people who are struggling. But how do people find you and how do they get connected to you? Yeah, well, I was lucky. I have a wife who knows how to build websites. And so she built a <laughs> website. It's called sexchangeregret.com. Uh, she's a, a bright gal and also knows how to edit things very well. And so I began uh, writing, and uh, we we published our self-published our first book uh, in 2006, and that was a, a transgender's faith, which is a great book, and it tells how the journey of redemption and restoration, how you come out of it, and how the Lord works in your life. So that's a, it's a great book. And um, then we've uh, been, when people contact us through our website, sexchangeregret.com, and we've now, we've published seven books, uh, self-published, and um, people read the books and they connect with something in their own life that, um, that's reflected in the book, and they contact me and through email, sometimes I meet them personally, uh, sometimes it's Skype. Sometimes it's on the phone, but um, we we mentor them and help them understand that uh, that the Lord is there for them. Uh, some people that contact me don't know the Lord, and we um, we try to let them know that they're just as valuable as anyone, and we're going to be there for them whether they have a, a persons of faith or not. We're going to be there for them. That's incredible. You know, one thing I'm I'm curious about and wanted to ask you um, is. Sorry, looks like we just uh, looks like we just lost him off the call, and I'll give him a few minutes to uh, to be able to chime back in. But I just wanted to share that I, I had the pleasure of meeting him, uh, Mr. Hire, and it was it was I would say that it's divine in nature, and I would say that because there's a lot that I didn't understand, and of course, you know, I wanted to make sure that I was being compassionate and that I wasn't ignorant on the topic. You know, my my youngest sister goes to a school that is uh, very accepting. And so we being such a conservative Christian family uh, had our, we had our our thoughts about sending her to a school that was so liberal, but I wanted to make sure that I was very well educated on this topic and that I did my research and my research led me to Mr. Heyer and his books and his story. Uh, So Mr. Heyer, welcome back. I just wanted to ask for you, um, how often are people experiencing regret from, you know, your, your personal uh, standpoint of how you're counseling and helping, helping others? Is it, you know, very rare that someone may regret this sort of a, a transition and you're mm-hmm. finding yourself in a unique niche or is this uh, really a demanding market that really needs more expansion to help individuals because maybe there are more than what you may be able to help? Yeah. Well, it is an expanding market. In fact, uh, there's somebody I 
forget who it is, but they're on Reddit, uh, who has a, a regret site or detransition site. Uh, and they they say they have thousands of people that come to them with regret. There's a, a gal in the UK who has a website for regretters, and she says she has thousands. And I myself have worked with thousands. Uh, so um, it's not rare, although the opposition, the people who don't like to hear the truth, uh, will say that it's rare, but it's not rare at all. Um, what what really occurs is sometime between three and 15 years, uh, the people just grow tired of it or um, they find that it didn't work or they learn that actually um, they learn the truth that actually no one has ever transitioned from one gender to the other because it's not biologically possible. It's not surgically possible. It's not possible through hormone therapy. So no one can ever make a biological change and uh, they can make a, a social appearance change, but it's all cosmetic surgery. So a guy mm-hmm. saying he wants to be a woman can't ever become a woman or if a gal wants to be a man, the only thing they can do is identify as a man and look like a man, but they're not men. Wow. You know, I my heart goes out to people who are experiencing this sort of pain they go through in their life. And I don't mean to minimize it, but uh, but to say in my own personal experience, you know, just, you know, being a woman sometimes there's a lot of insecurities that come with that. And sometimes you hit this place in your life, you know, and a lot of people may experience this of just dysphoria in, in general um, of looking in the mirror and the person who is in your mind is not the person in the mirror. I see a lot of women struggle with that with just aging, you know, where, they look in the mirror and they cannot fathom this. They can't comprehend this person that's looking back at them. So sure. to experience that with an entire gender identity, I know has to be very painful. So can you speak to some of the mental and spiritual challenges that you had to overcome when you decided to make the decision to accept yourself? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things is you you make a good point there. And I think when people look in the mirror, like the person who, thinks they're fat and have bulimia. So they, they're purging themselves. And actually, they only weigh 110 pounds, but they feel like they weigh 300. I mean, we, we have distorted images of ourselves, and that's where this originates. We, we have distorted feelings. Uh, we have disordered ideas. And these uh, come into our life most often from the people that I work with because of something that happened to them. Many of the people I work with have been emotionally or psychologically, physically or sexually abused. Something happened to cause them to not like who they are. And so being uh, or identifying as a transgender person is more of a temporary escape from being who they are. And hopefully during that temporary period, they will find someone that will actually help them identify the cause that made them not like themselves and deal with what the cause is. So if you were sexually abused or emotionally abused, then you can discuss with that person who did it, how long did it last. And in some cases, uh, psychotherapy is often required, but not always. Um, but we, it, once we identify it, once I could identify that my uncle sexually molested me and that the physical abuse that I suffered uh, really didn't, change who I was. I, I suffered deeply. It's, 
it's sort of like people who um, dissociate these dissociative disorders and other things. We just sometimes don't want to be who we are, just like you were talking about when you look in the mirror. The problem becomes when someone at a gender clinic says, well, the resolve, to resolve that problem, you need to take hormones and change your gender. Well, you can't change your gender and you don't need hormones. And that's why there's so many people that have regrets and these sites report having thousands of people who mistakenly wow. believed that they needed to change their gender when actually they just needed some good, sound, loving, effective psychotherapy to help them deal with what caused them to not like who they are or who they see in the mirror. Wow. You know, and maybe to shift gears just a little bit, you know, I've been watching a lot of what's been happening, you know, in terms of public policy and the things that people are pushing when it comes to children. Um, I haven't seen a lot of people oppose adults wanting to make transitions, but there's been a lot of controversy around parents who are supportive of their children um, making these sort of adjustments. And I don't believe the parents are trying to hurt their kids by accepting, you know, that their son may be uh, experiencing some confusion with his identity. I really think that they're doing their best. Um, to understand what's happening with their child and support their child, you know, what, from your professional opinion and your experience, how should a parent be helping their child that is experiencing some gender confusion? Well, I think the most important thing is to find out how the child came to the idea that they're the wrong gender. Now, sometimes it comes from an older adult, an older sibling, maybe a TV show, maybe a book at school, um, it's been introduced into the child some way, and I think it's important for the parents to understand that telling them the truth, that you can't be, Johnny cannot become Judy. And it's important for them to tell them the truth because the kids are going to learn it sometime down the road that mom or dad lied to me and told me I could change genders, and now they're adults and realize <clears throat> that it was a mistake. And so I think it's important to to keep telling our children the truth. And if we're going to affirm them, let's affirm them the way God made them. Because ultimately, <clears throat> they are who they are at birth. And um, that's that's fixed and unchangeable at conception. It can't be changed with hormones or surgery when they're 15 or 20 or 30 or 50 or 70. So... Um, I, I think we need to introduce some truth into this. Even though the person is struggling, it's because somewhere along the line, someone introduced them to an idea about changing genders mm-hmm. that actually is not possible. Wow. That is so interesting. I, I remember being young. I heard a statistic that said that, you know, if you if you leave children alone most of the time, about 89% they'll grow out of it. I don't know how accurate that statistic is. But I remember yeah, being that's young. It, mm-hmm. it, it, wow. That is, that's incredible to me how accurate yeah, that is we, and yet it, we are where we are. That's excellent because the truth is if we leave them alone and don't affirm them in a different gender, they will grow out of it. Uh, up, I think it's 94% of the time. And so it seems to me like um, we could easily see that we're doing great, uh, them a great deal of harm if we're encouraging them to change genders when they would actually grow out of it 94% of the time. So uh, you're absolutely right. That's, it, that's why we need to affirm them just the way God made them. 
So what is your suspicion of where we are now as a society? And and I ask that because there is such a push, you know, and I, you can't really escape it. It's such a conversation that we have to accept, and that acceptance looks like, you know, just giving in to this sort of a discussion or debate. You can't even really talk about it without someone saying that you're bigoted or hateful, that you don't care, you don't have mm-hmm. compassion. You know, how did we get here if we have 90% of children are going to change their mind, and then you're saying that there's a large percentage of adults that do change their mind even after surgery, you know, where mm-hmm. is it where it sounds like the minority is now speaking up for a majority? Boy, I'll tell you, the, the people who are the advocates, uh, you know, as you know, if you turn on the television, they control the message on television because you'll see shows that interject transgender people into many different shows today. Um, and they have it in books, magazines, TV ads. You'll see transgenders in TV ads. So there's this point of indoctrination primarily because there's some huge money and power behind the LGBT, especially the T transgender movement, millions, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, or they're advocates uh, that push this agenda uh, who really, unfortunately, don't care so much about the outcomes as they do presenting this as a social norm. And unfortunately, many of the people are finding their way into uh, suicides. We have about 18% of the population will commit suicide. We, ha- we know that uh, between 20 and 40-some percent of them will regret it. We know that uh, the vast majority of the people for a researcher lost, we can't even find them. So we don't know if they died or if they're just unavailable or if they've detransitioned because detransitioning now has become one of the more popular things. I did it 30 years ago. And uh, today, um, detransitioning now, they have surgeries for it. They talk more about it. So it's it's kind of growing and uh, it's becoming more topical today than, than it ever has been. So I think when you see people discuss detransitioning, you can pretty well be assured that that person had regret and they're trying to restore their life again. Mm, that just breaks my heart. Um, if if you can just, you know, talk to us about some of the common mistakes that people are making now when it comes to defining their identity, because it's, it's an, a movement a lot of our young people are really obsessed with identity, and I think that they're identifying themselves by really strange things, to be quite honest. Um, so I would like to know how should people define themselves? What are some of the mistakes that we are making when we're trying to figure out who we are? Well, I think one of the biggest mistakes is that's made today is that many people want to identify with a group instead of having their own mm. identity. There's this idea that, you know, they try to be different, but yet they end up being the same as the group that they're associating with. So what many of these psychiatric doctors uh, have written about is that they're calling this idea about changing genders more of a social contagion. In other words, if a person doesn't feel very good about himself, doesn't feel popular, doesn't feel like he's part of uh, what's going on today, if they identify as a transgender female, they're automatically in a group. They're accepted. They're affirmed. They have all of the trappings of things that they didn't have when they weren't identifying as a transgender person. So 
Um, people are missing the idea that one, it, the 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 changing genders is only a temporary um, social contagion that doesn't have any foundation in reality except your feelings. And so if you're going to buy into this whole idea of changing genders, you have to buy into the idea that no one who does this ever changes their mind about anything. Because, you know, what what happens is they, these are all based on feelings. And their feelings mm. change. They'll, they'll change in their 20s, in their 30s. I've had stories where people write me and say, you know, I just got tired of doing this. I got tired of waking up and putting on this fake face every day and trying to pretend that I'm somebody I'm not. So there's a fatigue factor that goes along with identifying with somebody that you're not. So um, it's socially acceptable, and that social contagion thing is a very powerful um, sort of draw for people who don't feel good about themselves. You know, I've read several of your books, and, you know, you have spoke to there being underlying psychological causes and diagnoses, you know, and, and instead we're putting this label on it instead of dealing with some of those underlying things that we really should be looking at from a clinical standpoint. Can you just speak to a little bit of that? Like what is it really um, versus just saying, you know, this child or this person is transgender? Sure. What, what should our psychiatrist really be saying? Well, you know, when you get to the point to where somebody is really obsessing about needing to change genders, you know, they, they might have something like body dysmorphia. They might have bipolar disorder. They're certainly suffering from depression and anxiety. But uh, there's dissociative disorders, even schizophrenia. Um, there's so many diff different disorders. If, if the person who's working with the child or individual, even an adult, can talk to them and get them to discuss what was going on at the moment you remember that you didn't feel comfortable in your own body or that, that at the time that you decided that it was time for you to change genders, what was going on? Was there a, a loss uh, in the household? Did someone pass away? Did you lose your father, your mother? Were you put in foster care? Uh, what dramatic event happened or was it something that you just found online were you in a chat room and you just felt comfortable with these people was it somebody you talked to at school so there's if if you can spend enough time with the individuals and get them to dig down you'll find either some kind of uh, psychological distress uh, as i mentioned before uh, sexual abuse or emotional abuse any time a child is sexually abused, they're going to have psychiatric and psychological problems that need to be addressed. And abusing a child is a crime. And whoever did it should be arrested and to protect other people from um, having that done to them. So I, it's, it just seems kind of simple to me to be able to understand that no one is born transgender and that's not an abusive thing to say. It's just that it's a childhood developmental idea that comes from our social structure. It comes from things that we teach our children. And it does them a great deal of harm later on down the road. It all looks real fun. I was four years old when I started cross-dressing. And so it all seemed very fun then. But there's a point in time when the reality sets in, the fun is gone, and now your life has been 
kind of torn apart. And if you're fortunate enough to start coming back to the Lord and, and finding out how to put the pieces of your life back, then you can work through those things and regain um, kind of a foothold on reality that you'd lost for a while. I mean, anytime we think that we're somebody we're not, there's something wrong with our thinking. That is incredible. You know, it reminds me of um, when I was a kid, my mother, she taught me a lot from her perspective of men. And, you know, you're being a young, you're a young girl, you know, you got a lot of people that warn you about people who want to take advantage of you or abuse you and, touch you in inappropriate ways. There was a lot of that sort of conversation growing up, and she was trying to give me all the tools that I would need to protect myself from men. And so that mm-hmm. grew into a resentment of being a woman. And for a period of time, I just I didn't want to be an attractive guy, dressed like a boy, because that was my way of protecting myself. Um, I saw that the, the girls who dressed like boys didn't get all that attention. Um, but I'm grateful I didn't grow up in this time because then someone may have told me that I was a certain way. Instead, you know, left alone and left to figure it out. Eventually, I started liking boys. Uh, so I didn't mind being uh, pretty again and wanting to dress up and things. But um, at the time, it was a method of protection for me and a resentment that came from fear and anxiety that I thought that I needed uh, to keep myself from being hurt. So I'm, I'm so glad that you spoke to the intricacies and the complexity of identity and, and how these things come to mind and how they come to be. I would love it if you could provide some words of encouragement to individuals that are struggling with any aspect of their identity. You bet. I, 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 I'm so glad you pointed that out, that oftentimes people changing genders, Tia, are doing so as a way to protect themselves from being abused. Uh, and and that is so insightful for people to realize this. And I think anytime people are uncomfortable with who they are, if they if they have the ability to sit and journal about it and try to understand how they got there, if they can talk to somebody they can trust and open up to them and share with them the deep dark secret that happened to them. many of the people that I've talked to don't, won't even disclose being sexually abused until they're in their thirties and forties. They've kept a secret wow. because they're so ashamed of what happened. And yet they're cutting their body apart and changing all these things because they were harmed uh, at an early age and they didn't really know how to deal with it. So it's, I think it's so important for us to realize there's nothing wrong with the way you are. And anytime we tell a child, that you can change genders, Tia, we're telling them at the same time there's something wrong with the way you are, so you need to change. That's that's mm-hmm. harsh on a person. You talk about being harsh is telling them there's something wrong with the way you are, so you need to change to become someone else. There's nothing wrong with who they are. We just need to love on that person the way they are. Let them know that they are just a child of God. They're wonderful the way they are, and encourage them to live in that body like you found now you're enjoying that. And we know that over 90% of the people, if we encourage them that in that direction, will come out and they'll enjoy who they are and they'll respect their body and they'll be happy that they weren't one of the ones that underwent hormone therapy or any kind of surgery or identified as a transgender. It's so important. So I appreciate that. I really, I really appreciate that you spoke to the healing power of love because... Uh, I think that that's part of the problem is is the rejection 
and the trauma that we continue to enforce on people from your point that's already experiencing trauma, you know, and they're already experiencing abuse, and then they're abused all over again when they're just trying to figure things out. So thank you for talking about how important it is that we love people and show them compassion and make room for them um, to figure things Mm -hmm. out, especially our kids. I think that's so important. Yes, it is. It sure is. That's the key. We need to love them the way they are because they're just fine the way they are. That's awesome. So you do incredible work. You know, I love your ministry. I love your story. It's such a story of redemption. And I, I love those sort of stories because it tells me that God is still in the business of performing miracles. He's still changing lives every single day. And I would love to know how we can support you in the work that you do. Well, uh, the way that I can be supported, I think, is buying the books. Uh, if people have the means or ability, they can make a gift donation. We're not a 501c3, so it's not tax deductible. Uh, but certainly getting the books and, and reading the books and understanding, maybe they can help somebody if they gain some knowledge through one of the books like Paper Genders, A Transgender's Faith, uh, or Trans Life Survivors. Any one of the books, they could get their hands on, read the book, and when they encounter somebody that's struggling, they may have some information that they can actually help another person with. So that's that's really one of the ways to help. We need more people who can speak the truth to this issue, and the more people that read the books, the more people we're going to have educated to do that. That is awesome, and, and thank you so much for being willing to share your story uh, can you just repeat the website one more time where someone could go and purchase a book? Yeah, thank you, Tia, for having me on. It's sexchangeregret.com. Sexchangeregret.com. Awesome. So in closing, guys, the Compassion Network is all about leadership from the perspective of faith. And it takes great faith to take the time to understand who God created you to be and learn to fall in love with who that person is. Leaders like Walt Hire's Compassionate Ministry helps to transform lives from the inside out all the time. So please support him by visiting his website and purchasing one of his many books. I think I have almost all of them. Um, So Mm -hmm. if you go to walthire.com or sexchangeregret.com, you can purchase any one of his books. They're not too expensive. It's a good time to read while we're dealing with COVID-19. Sit back while things are quiet. Enjoy a book. But thank you all so much for listening to the Compassion Network. Please be sure to subscribe to the Compassion Network when you go to CompassionNetworkPodcast.com. Thank you again, everyone, and thank you again, Mr. Hire, for your time tonight. And I want to just encourage all of you to let God lead you into greatness. You are listening to the Compassion Network Podcast.